Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to episode one of Changes, the Mother Mother mini-series. It's Annie McManus here. Delighted to be with you and delighted to bring you this first conversation of four conversations with four authors about the monumental change that writing a book represents. So just to remind you, I have my own debut novel that came out at the end of May and it's called Mother Mother and it's about a woman who disappears out of her life as she knows it and with no warning no kind of plan she's 37 and she just disappears out of her home and leaves her son TJ behind to figure out what the hell is going on so you're with the two of them Mary and TJ in their kind of parallel journeys and there's many themes within the book you know there's the theme of addiction of grief of growth of family and when I started thinking about other people's books in parallel to mine I'd noticed a great deal of similarities in terms of theme but just how people come at them from really different places so single parenting living with grief the transition from boyhood to manhood are all going to be themes that we cover on this mini-series moving forwards but this week we're focusing on the term missing person which is essentially what Mary is in the book she's a missing person So Francisco Garcia has just released a beautiful book called If You Were There. It's part memoir, part investigative nonfiction, and it's about the missing persons crisis. When Francisco was seven years old, his mum died and his father disappeared. Now, as a journalist, he's become fascinated with the phenomenon of missing people. And the book is this really detailed, nuanced portrait of the messiness of the missing persons crisis. The book sold at an eight-way auction, pretty much unheard of for a first book and has been getting amazing reviews since it was released in May. Personally, I loved reading it. I loved the macro and the micro of it, how he was able to kind of zoom out. He speaks to charities like Crisis and Coffee for Craig, and he goes to different police departments, you know, responsible for looking for the missing. But then we also meet some of the individuals caught up inside the statistics. People like Francisco's friend Jamie, whose mom just disappeared, just walked out of home one day. So really interesting to get that kind of macro and micro aspect. He ends his journey in the book by travelling to La Linea, the small Spanish town that his dad is from, to confront all of his unresolved feelings about his dad's disappearance. Now, this is not a book that provides a neat resolution to Francisco's search. There are many questions unanswered, which reflects the nature of the missing persons crisis very accurately, I think. It's complicated, it's messy, and Francisco does a really kind of noble and poignant job of trying to kind of process it. So... Shall we meet him? Welcome our first guest in this Changes Mother Mother mini-series. This is Francisco Garcia. Okay, so this is Changes, a Mother Mother mini-series, and delighted to welcome as my guest today, Francisco Garcia. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Uh, I'm really well. Um, really excited to have you on and to chat about your book, If You Were There, which is the most just gorgeous emotional, fascinating uh, experience of a read. 
Let's start with the first of three big change questions that we're going to look at your book through, which is what changes in your life afforded you to write if you were there? Oh, it's a very, very good question. And there's like the slightly boring answer (laughs) and the more, you know, philosophical answer. I'll start with the boring one. But basically, I think when I started my like career, maybe at five years ago, when I started writing professionally, I was always drawn to stories about all the different things you sort of see in the book, like the way Britain was and wasn't working for people. So whether that was homelessness, whether that was things like modern slavery, addiction, I was always drawn to those stories. But they're quite time consuming and like expensive to <laughs> to cover. So I was always a bit frustrated that I couldn't get my teeth into things as much as I wanted to do, purely maybe because of economic necessity. Like I had to churn out X number of articles a week to make a living. Do you know what I mean? So then in the winter of 2019, right at the start of the year, just randomly, I got this job at a TV production company and it's quite well paid. And that for the first time that basically afforded me the space to like work on this proposal seriously. And in the way it, it really it really deserved. So that's the boring answer. (laughs) But the more philosophical one is that in 2019, again, I want to say it came up for the 20th anniversary of um, like my mum dying, basically, which is obviously a big, (laughs) the big event in my in my childhood, really. And that made me think about a lot of things as as it obviously would, you know, and it got me thinking about my dad a bit more as well. And like, because he was always a bit of a it's a bit like actually a mother mother like you know Mary's dad he's he, he's there he's physically there but he's a bit like he's a bit absent he's, he's he's almost not fully there right so I had the similar thing although my dad wasn't physically present obviously I didn't really I hadn't really known much about him so it started making me think about him a lot more and then I'm thinking what it is that he meant to me at that time and I guess the easiest way of describing it was not a missing person but like he was missing to me. And that's a distinction I thought. So that in itself, I thought, that's an interesting distinction. Let's try and work with this. And then, and that's how it really started. Yeah. So it was a mixture of like having the economic freedom to do it properly and coming to a point in my life where this stuff started to make a bit more sense to me. So Francisco, can I get you to break down the kind of reality of the missing persons crisis right now for those who who haven't really had time to think about it? What's the situation? What does it look like? If you look at the headline figures that Missing People, the charity, publish, I think it's around about 180,000 people are reported missing every year. That's obviously a huge number, a very scary number. Obviously, that ranges from a whole spectrum of experience. And some people don't agree on those figures. So it's obviously a huge number. There's some people that think, oh, that's underreported. There are those that think it's not overreported, but we're, we're um, including too many marginal cases within that, right? There's not a consensus on the, on the figures. There's not a consensus even that like there's a particular crisis right now as opposed to it's just something that's always with us basically. But I would say, and my own just personal thinking about the thing, is that it speaks to a wider sort of general invisibility crisis in our society where there's a hell of a lot of people, technically missing or not, who are slipping through these ever-widening gaps that I think we can all see and not just due to the current situation of the pandemic or whatever, like before that we could see the steep and shocking rise in street homelessness, for example. We read about things like county lines or or we read about things to do with, you know, addiction. We read to do things about the monumental struggles people have in this country with trying to access affordable and secure housing. Like all these things, they contribute to this general slackening of, of the social bonds or fabric, whatever you want to call it. So 
I don't want to compare it to other times, but it is extremely easy and easier than we like to think to slip through those cracks and become one of the invisible or one of the missing, whatever you, you know, you want to call it, I think. And, and I mean, one of the things, again, that the book does so brilliantly is it brings together, as you say, all these different worlds of people on the fringes of society, people that don't really have a voice and people that kind of, as you say, slip out of view sometimes. And it's kind of, you know, if you think quickly about a missing person, you think Sarah Everard or, you know, people who you see in the news or, or like, have you seen this person? But it's so much more than that. There's so many different facets of what a missing person could be. Could you talk me through like some of the different categories, I suppose, of people that could be deemed missing that you spoke of in If You Were There? Yeah, of course. I think it's like um, collectively as like a society, we have this fascination with missing people, right? But that's quite specific, as you say, specific strand of missing people. So that's the the very high profile, awful case of someone being abducted and taken to harm or whatever, or it's a missing photogenic missing child or it's or something along that ilk. Actually, the vast majority is, is it's complicated, it's messy. It's a bit like Mary's missing episode. I suppose that's what it becomes. It's Mary's missing episode. It's people that abscond for, I think it's about 48 hours is the typical like missing persons. And it's most people don't go for that long because something has happened. Again, this is Mary as an example. She's had a, there's a long-seated, deep-seated set of traumas. Now, I don't want to go into too much of it. I want to spoil the book for people, but it's like, it's a slow accumulation. Something happens, something snaps, and it becomes intolerable, and, and, and you go, right? And you and you leave, and not with a plan. You haven't, obviously, you haven't been abducted. You haven't been taken. You haven't necessarily planned this out very much, but you just want to go. Like, that's the vast majority of people. And there's usually something, and I think it's 85% of these, of people that reported missing, there is something to do with mental health there, whether it's a diagnosed or undiagnosed condition, that vulnerability is present, right? So again, it's like missing is this vast spectrum of, of experience where it covers everything yeah. from the seduction at that end to even something as mundane as like a teenager who's gone out on the piss in the park and hasn't come home in time for their for their curfew, right? Yeah. So, but there's obviously those two things are not the same, right? You know, Sarah Everard or, mm. you know, someone that's been something terrible and brutal and that's happened like that and this teenager who's just missed curfew those two things obviously aren't the same but they exist on this vast spectrum mm. of experience that, that comprises missing or missing people so I, I wanted to kind of try and at least demystify a lot of what what missing is really and also it feels like the book does the job of allowing people to really focus on the people that you can't see and you know the people who are refugees or going through slavery or you know kids on the county lines all these people who are gone missing and you ask this really fascinating question which is if a person isn't being looked for are they missing which is like again all, all those headlines are like people who you know there's search parties there's but what if you're not not what if no one's looking for a person they're still missing Sure. And it's just, um, that is a thing I've never, and I don't think I'll ever be able to wrap my head around fully, right? Because there is this question at the heart of it, right? It's about um, why the philosophical things about intention, about agency. Like, for example, let's use that, let's use that example of, the, of county lines, right? A terrible social evil that's going across, you know, Britain. There's growing awareness of that due to all sorts of reasons. But that's a, this is this terrible thing that's happening, you know, all over the country. But that kid that's in the middle of that, like in a lot of cases, actually somewhat, this woman I spoke to at the Children's Society was saying they do a lot of like return interviews and try to 
help understand what's gone on in this in this kid's life. But they not once she told me, not once has any one of those kids described themselves as a missing person. Like it'll been it'll be farcical ha- for them. Have have they ever been reported as missing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. So say mm-hmm. that their parents are distraught, they can't find them, they're reported as missing. But but the kid in the middle of that experience has gone to do whatever might have been coerced, might not, you know, whatever they have been coerced. They don't in some see way. themselves as missing. Got it. You don't see themselves as missing, or like mm. I think one of the things that I'm, I interviewed about, say, one of my favourite bits of the book, but like the, one of the bits that, like, again, I'll never stop thinking about is the amazing woman that I met in Newcastle, Esther, who is a journalist. It's fantastic, but she. She went missing. Actually, you know what? Similar to similar to Mary and mother, mother. Like she, there's a whole host of things going on in her life, and one day she's walked outside of it, and it was due to a mental health crisis, right? I think that's fair in saying. So she took herself away, right? And her family, loved ones, are all distraught. But she was saying, in that moment of time, I wouldn't describe my, herself as missing. So everyone else is making this value judgment for you that you're you're this thing, you're this thing, you're that, you're a missing person, right? That's quite a label to put on someone, you know. Like it's quite a label. Obviously, it's probably the right label, but there's a whole dearth of um, attention and sympathy to people that come come back because they, you might not see yourself as that. So this mad thing has happened to you already. This crazy traumatic experience has happened to you, like for whatever reason, and you've come back and you still don't have ownership of that in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, like I, I find does, that fascinating. Like yeah, and the label itself kind of conveys intention on the part of the missing person, whereas totally. there was no intention. Like. Uh, you know, right? Esther didn't sit down and make a plan of like her missingness of like, how will I evade? You know, I think, I don't know, when I was trying to get into the head of Mary in the book, it's very much like she's kind of, there's just this kind of propulsion forwards away, away, away. Like, but there's no kind of sit down and like, there's no strategizing. (laughs) It's just movement. Yeah. Trying to kind of, kind of chase the feelings in her head. I actually thought that was one of the most astute things in, in Mother Mother. I don't think I've seen this in fiction before, but like, I don't know how much research you did into that, but that is actually a very like typical thing for someone. Like again, there's no no strategizing, no planning. It's about a way, right? I thought it was really good in one of the earlier chapters where it's her like in a petrol station and she's just yeah. like um and she's just like oh shit like what, what is, yeah. is that person looking at me? Is that person looking at me? Yeah. Where am I going yeah. now? Where am I going next? And it's just like that's how. That's what a lot of missing episodes are like. There's a paranoia there. There's a relentless propulsion forward, right? Or or sideways or whatever. But there's movement. And it might not be... And it's to, uh, to me and you who, thank God, like we haven't <laughs> gone missing, right? But we, but that, look, that looks like very illogical, right? It doesn't look like, you're like... How could some... You know, how could you behave like that? How did that? But like in that moment of crisis, I don't know. The, the only thing I can liken it to, and this probably is going to sound trite, so shut me up if this is stupid. But like, do you ever get like... You know you've had like a stressful day or something and you get an unwanted phone call. Like but it's an important yeah. one you can't you can't skip, right? It's like, oh shit, I really don't want to do this, but I've yeah. got to. For me at least, like when I pick that up, like I can't sit still. <laughs> so I just yeah. keep pacing the house, like willing it to be over, like just like trying to yeah, uh, yeah. keep moving. It's like it's kind of like what well, that is like, you're just pacing, pacing, pacing. It's not yeah. strategic, it's not logical movement, but it's almost like necessary, very necessary movement. Yeah, that makes total sense. So one of the things that I'm interested in is your decision to kind of allow your own story to kind of inform your investigation. I mean, from a reader's perspective, it feels like your curiosity about your dad 
kind of drives the book, but also I think your experiences allow this kind of sense of trust from your interviewees. Like, that, that, you know, you are able to be on a level with them and talk about them about kind of vaguely, vaguely shared experience. So tell me about that, just like how you navigated your own story in the context of writing this wider exploration about the missing. Okay, that's a great question that I think it's, it's something I still think about because the, mm. when I started that, it's like, again, you've got to be, the main thing I was concerned about, particularly in any journalistic like endeavour in any way, is like, if I'm getting someone to tell me about probably, I know for a fact in some cases, the most traumatic time of somebody's life where either they're living in the absence of the missing, they've been the missing themselves or whatever, hugely traumatic time, I've got to bring my absolute like A game in terms of like research, preparation, sensitivity to to their experience, etc. So I felt that I always try to sort of think that my own experience with my dad isn't, I was always quite upfront. I was like, no, I don't know what you've gone through, even though the fact that my dad is missing from me. But like you say, maybe there's that, there's a thread of shared experience there. At least I've got some, maybe some empathy about what, an inkling, a tiny bit of what you've gone through. But my thoughts towards that, like, changed during the writing of it because with, for example, my mum, like who died when I was quite young, my relationship to her now is, is, is very simple. Like she's dead. Like, I mean, I have memories of her and collected memories of my own family and stuff, but that's easier to sort of work through than when like, you don't really have a, a coherent set answer, like with my dad, for example. So I guess when I started, I was, I was very open-minded because but the way that's written, the book's written, is the way that I experienced it, really. That's not... I mean, obviously, there's writing as artifice, right? I've crafted a narrative. But, like, generally speaking, I experienced things as I experienced them at that time. Like, I haven't shoehorned it around the narrative of trying to find my missing dad or anything. So I was always happy to keep my thoughts open-minded. So when I started, I already sort of knew deep down that I wasn't looking for this mythical unicorn of, <laughs> of closure yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. Like, that's, I always knew that's a silly idea, oh, not a silly idea, whatever helps people yeah. in their own lives, but it wasn't useful for me. So I kept my mind open and I think that I tried to think that I was, everyone I spoke to, I'm learning more from them than they're learning from me. Does that make sense? So I always thought that because even now, I always like to stress that like I'm not an expert in, in missing people. I'm not. like There's real experts and there's me trying to explain some of this stuff to a wider public, but I'm not like the authority on anything. So like I always kept that attitude where I'm here to learn as much as I'm here to mm. proselytise about my own story. But you get a sense of that. You really get a sense of that and your open-mindedness as you read the book. Like It really feels like, as a reader, I'm with you on the journey and it doesn't feel like you have any kind of agenda at all but there is a kind of I guess for me anyway there was a kind of anticipation of like of the end especially when you go to Spain and it's like there's this kind of annoying like inevitable desire for closure for you and I mean I think closure is something I really want to talk about with you because you know as you called it a unicorn that's the one thing that this book does not provide and that's the power of this book I think is the total inconclusivity of of the conclusion tell me about that tell me about your relationship with closure and what you learned about closure in the writing of this book it's another fantastic question, Fox. So, uh, it's, massive it's a fucking question. Massive, Sorry, ma- <laughs> no, no, it's good. No, it's good because I should, I should think about it. Like, <laughs> but Sorry. It's a dip- no, 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 it's good. It's, it's like I do have an answer for you. Again, it's a bit of a might sound a bit daft, but like I, I basically had this idea where 
like because my my dad like didn't look he had a lot of pro- issues and, and and problems to use you know a euphemism but like I didn't during the writing of it during that time in my head again I was like well what would um what would a reconnection look like what would this closure look like so if you know in, in the typical sense like what would happen if I was walking down bloody Rye Lane and inexplicably bumped into my, my dad having a kebab or something I don't know whatever but or I went to Spain and like you know we hugged it out by the Rock of Gibraltar like it's just farcical like but I thought I thought to myself what would a meeting realistic meeting be like and um I didn't think it would be good because you have to remember I, I had to remember in my head like my memories of him like there are good ones obviously but like a lot of them are, it's a very like oh, it's pretty fraught well no no sugarcoating it's a shit time in my life when I was like a kid or whatever and all this drama's popping off but he um I didn't think he would have had a there wasn't going to be some sort of like change in his life where snap of the fingers and and all of those problems melt away and you're a whole new phoenix from the ashes and be a wonderfully responsible middle-aged man with da, 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 da. this wasn't going to happen in his life like oh, I, I just thought that's not going to happen so i thought there's also a sense of jeopardy there right because this idea of looking for closure and really looking for it i had to constantly remind myself it's not just about me <laughs> like as much as i love we all love thinking we're the center of our own little you know micro universe or whatever like oh there's loads of people around me that this stuff affects so like my family here they're nothing but supportive they, they would support whatever I did but like my family there whatever you know like my my partner here it's just like all these things you've got to consider where you think actually what would I risk upsetting if I'm searching for this thing relentlessly I actually like the fact of it is again like I have a I, I love my life <laughs> like I have you know I, I like my life I, I'm not I tried to get one of the key crucial things about this book is like, it's not a misery memoir. Like I don't, lots of shit stuff happened like in my life, but like now that's 20 years ago. And like, I've had a, I, I like, I've got a good life relatively speaking. Like, you know, I enjoy my life. Like I don't want to, do you want to put a bomb underneath that? Cause it's such, this search for closure can be for a lot of people. It can drive people mad. Like I say that with all love and respect. Like, let me give you an example, actually, because it's, it's a good one. Okay. I think it's an illustrative yeah. one. That um, if you're around London or, or anywhere in the UK and you see the missing people charity posters, there'll be likely there'll be two people that are there sort of literally poster boys, right? Um, there's Andrew Gosden and a guy called Lee Boxall. Now, both of them, they were teenagers when they disappeared, right? And they've never been... They've never been seen since. Like, it's really terrible stories. The kind of thing that's quite hard to wrap your head around, really. But yeah. I remember reading in an earlier book, which I love, by the Scottish writer Andrew Hagen. He wrote this book called The Missing in the early 90s, I think it was. He goes to visit the family of Lee Boxall, like, five or six years after he disappeared, I think. And they've been driven so, obviously, to their wit's end by their grief. His bedroom sits undisturbed from what it was like the day of his disappearance. And his dad... They're from Sutton, and his dad was one day driving along like Brixton, thought he saw a lad that looked like him, knew it wasn't him, really deep down, and went and just begged him to come home with him. Like that's that's what oh, this like relentless it's 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 enough to break your heart, isn't it? And it's just yeah. like so that's what I mean. It's like this whole thing of like this this yearning for this for an answer. That that yearning yeah. can drive people to despair, really. Like I, so I always yeah. try to avoid that <laughs> to, yeah. as much as I could. No, to- totally fair enough. It makes complete sense. I get it. Especially as, as if you've seen 
and spoken to so many people who are in that position. I mean, talking about the people you speak to in the book, the searchers, in your various conversations with charities, caseworkers, officers, did you find that there is a type of person who kind of is drawn to look for the missing? Did you find any patterns through those people? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) The people, most of the people that I interview in that section, like I've got nothing but immense respect for because it takes, yeah, it takes a certain kind of personality, I would say. Like, I think you've got to be, well, you've got to have a sincere desire to <laughs> to, to want to find these people or you're not going to be very good at it. Like, if, if it's just a job you think, I don't know, say a civil service or whatever, like, you're not, it's not a job like that. Like, it's not just a, you have a stable, well-paying job, you go home, see a family at the weekend. That's great, but that's not the sort of job this is. Like, you are... Your work is full on and you're dealing with some of the worst grief <laughs> people can imagine. And um, I think there was a strand of empathy that ran through most of the people that I spoke to. It's funny, actually, I was actually thinking the other day when I was reading Mother Mother. Again, I'm not reading anything in the plot, but there's a bit where, like, say TJ's talking to the police, right? And he's, he's getting pissed off because he's just like, why are you being so smug and annoying? Like, this is my world. Like, this is the most important thing ever going on to me right now. And this woman's been a bit supercilious or whatever. Even in the book, like, there's one... I won't name the person, but, like, there's one person from the policing side that I was just a bit, like... He made really good points, and he knew his stuff, obviously, but he was just, like... His attitude... I don't want to be a dickhead when I was writing it, but, like, his attitude towards me was just, like, you're an idiot. I know what I'm talking about. You're a fool. I don't think there's a missing persons crisis. And, again, I'm not doubting his sincere you know, concern for for missing people. But like, it was just a bit like needlessly blunt. But then there were other people that, like everyone else was just like beyond, yeah, lovely. Yeah, and empathetic. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So as I was reading, if you were there the news emerged of the disappearance of Richard Okaragaya. And it was just so powerful reading your book, which obviously explores all the potential motivations of why someone would disappear. And then reading about this total mystery of a young man, 19 years old, in West London, leaving his house without his medication and travelling all that way. I just wanted to know what your reaction was to his disappearance at the time. Like, How did you feel about it? Oh, I mean devastated like obviously beyond beyond devastated because I think it's like that had come hot on the heels of obviously the Sarah Everard and stuff and I just thought to myself like well my I don't sound selfish my gut response was like thank god it's not like it's not you or yours do you know what I mean it's like that because you don't and then your next reaction is to be like Jesus Christ is there anything I can do uh, I don't know I, fa- I found it difficult to to read 
I think we all did, I'm sure. But like, I, I think in that case, again, I don't, I don't want to generalize and I don't want to, I don't want to talk like, because I, again, I don't, I don't know enough about it really to, to like speculate. And I think speculation is obviously wrong anyway, but it seemed like what that young man was going through was just pressures of the most unrelenting kind, which is a typical trigger for people to go missing anyway. And I just thought, I actually thought he kind of reminded me of, of, of people that I, that I knew when I was a kid, like people who were dealing with vulnerabilities, like, like he was dealing with, with his health and not enough space at home, blah, blah, blah. Obviously this is way pre Corona world. I would, I would hasten to add but like, cause obviously lockdown was a terrible part of his stress and stuff. But I think, oh, I don't know. I, I, I almost think it's hard to have anything other than like a emotional response to it. I'll leave all the takes about what it means and doesn't mean right. to maybe to other people because I just genuinely think like it's very easy to lose sight of the human like the actual individual terrible tragedy without extrapolating yeah. and the impact and the impact yeah. it had a huge impact and like yeah. on his on his oh, I can't actually I found it I found it hard to watch well, that was the hardest bit, wasn't it? Mm. I think his mum is called Evidence, isn't it? Or I think, yeah. And she talked about how useless the police were for her at mm. the time, at the start. And, you know, just the idea of the helplessness that you would feel as a parent in that scenario is, as you say, it's kind of, it's hard to comprehend. But I wanted to ask you about that side of things. And we see it addressed in the book a few times how people deal with that feeling of helplessness and how they then kind of manifest that feeling into something that is constructive for them. Like using your friend Jamie from Dundee as an example, how he became a social worker, went to university, did all these things off the back of what happened to his mom who who, who disappeared and passed away. Do you think that you writing this book was part of that? Like your kind of motivations where it was kind of trying to be constructive about your experiences and was there a part of that? Am I getting that something there or am I totally off the Yeah, no, rails? no, I think it's, no, not at all, not at all. Um, it's, I can't stop smiling when anyone mentions Jamie because he's just such a don. I've known him for for a lot of years and just a, just an amazing guy anyway. And what he's achieved since is just remarkable. Like he, He's, and, and as he says, and it's literally his own words, it's just like he's taken that and, and run, almost run with it and made it into the, into the, yeah. into this amazing man that he is today. Like, and it is. Yeah. There's a quote in the book where he says, what's the worst thing that can happen when the worst has yeah. already happened? So it's the idea <laughs> of making these choices that he wouldn't have made because the backdrop is. It's just, it's yeah, crazy. A hundred percent. Like it's, I thought that was when he, yeah, when he said that, I was just like, this is, I mean, how could he put it any more succinctly? Like, I think. For myself and to, to to then you know rave on about my own experiences is basically like I don't know I I'd already in the years prior I'd written quite a lot about my relationship to my mum and and what that happened there and, and all that stuff that happened and I did genuinely find that like for want of a better word like that was cathartic like that felt oh wow I'm I'm it's very complicated like I've always been someone from a young 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 age who is just looking forward like forward 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 probably in response to like <laughs> my mum's death maybe I don't know so I, I was just like right let's get on with things like I don't have any time for what I would have called wallowing you know like blah blah, blah which isn't very healthy in its own way to be honest because you're not reflecting and you're not breaking these complicated things down in your own head but all that writing really yeah it started to make a lot more sense to me 
it came quite naturally and it was a big help. But I'd never done that with my dad, really. But I suppose I wouldn't be like remotely who I am today, obviously, if this stuff hadn't happened, yeah. But I guess I tried to like... So when, when for example, like I don't... I didn't want to manufacture like any of the emotional responses, right? So writing is artifice, right? And it is obviously like, it's not like, oh, I was crying and it, and it fell on the page and it became a book, right? Because who would want to read that for a start? You know, it's a diary entry, you know? it's not a book. But I am um, like, I, I, the end, like the ending, that thing that I wrote, that's, I genuinely wrote that in like that night in, in La Linea. I'd gone out and this is no word of a lie. The night, and I, I tried to be honest about this. Oh God, I shouldn't, I shouldn't ruin it, but I'll, I'll just, I won't, I won't go into the ending, yeah. but like I'd gone out the night before and I was just like, I'm so bored and a little bit lonely. Like that I went to an Irish pub like in La Linea and I just got, I got drunk with like a load of lovely people. <laughs> but that, that yeah, next yeah, night yeah. I swapped Amazing. numbers with one of the, the um one of the women there and like, she was like, oh, you should come down like, tomorrow night. We're all going to be out again. We'll have to see you. Blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, great, great. The next day I was like, yeah. I've, ex- I've exhausted that now. Like, I can't, I can't go back there. Like, you know, you yeah, have those yeah. random nights where it's just, the alchemy's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah the random, and that's good. But yeah. I was like, the next night I was like, I need to like, I need to sit here. I need to look out at this water. Yeah. I need to, not self-consciously, but I need to just let it happen and just think and sit and reflect and chill mm. and it came to me like then mm. when like the last bit I just I just wrote it then, then and there and I knew that was the ending for the book right then and how did you feel how did you feel when you read it back I don't know like I felt um I felt good like I, I because yeah because you're never going to adequately address because again it's like there's, there's an idea of like you write things down and you get it and then you've expelled your emotions on the paper. Of course, that's not, that's not true, is it? Like, it's, it's always, it's only a, f- a fragment of what you're, of what you want to get down or what you what you think about these very complicated, and like we've been talking about, like, not resolvable things. Like, there's not going to be a, you're never going to write yeah. a paragraph so good that it's going to, um, it's going to solve the past. Like, it just doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, whatever. But like, I felt good. I really did feel good. And I felt I'd done as corny and sort of like, stupid as this might sound like I felt I'd been honest to myself and I've been honest to what I knew of my dad and honest to that relationship yeah again don't want to use the word closure but there's something I can imagine and you maybe already knew this but I guess again from the reader's perspective which is all I know is that there's a kind of peace peaceful feeling at the end of kind of realizing the closure of no closure. Do you know what I mean? Like the idea of like, okay, there is no end here and that's okay. And it's kind of like Francisco is going to carry on living and he's going to be all right. And like, I don't know, it's just, it's just kind of, there's a feeling of peacefulness, I guess, that you get as, as it ends. Oh yeah. There's a little bit, I don't know if this is relevant to now, but I wonder, do you mind if I read a little paragraph oh, yeah, go for it, yeah. from page 230? It's just during your time with Jamie. And I thought it was really good. You say, It's not true, the idea that memories inevitably fade into the past. Some things are too vivid, too formative and raw. Some things stay present no matter how much time passes and makes the past start to feel like something strange. The idea of one day erasing the worst days or waking up to a magically definitive closure is a fantasy and not always a charmed one. It's something I've long known. So I just thought that was a really powerful part of the book, talking about closure. And I guess the interesting part of of what makes the book unique is that in all of your interactions with people, 
you can't help but think about your own experiences. So you get this kind of sensation of you zooming in and out of your own feelings as we learn about other people's feelings. So we are really invested in you. You know, it just feels like we're on this journey with you. So yeah, the end is so poignant because of that, because we're proper rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Francisco. Thank you very much, oh, Annie. God. <laughs> oh. So I have to ask you the second big change question. How did writing the book change you? We might have answered that already, but let's just ask you that one. When I came back from Spain and I sent I sent the book away, the manuscript away or whatever, I did feel as if slightly something had had lifted off of my shoulders. And not, not not just that not just that like, oh I've got this big deadline out of the way, like which is a which is a feeling we all you know, that's a great feeling. We we all you know, we've all experienced that. But I did feel in that fuller sense when I got back to London, I was just like, I can't believe I've done that. Like, I can't believe I went to, you know, where my dad's from. I can't believe, also I can't believe I just made it through this year. After like, and the subject matter is obviously like, it's pretty, for want of a better word, in, 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 intense, right? And you're, you're dealing with a lot of intensity all the time. And like, that was my nine to five, really. I was just, I was just doing this. So it was like, I came out of it and I felt... I felt exhausted, <laughs> but then after after I got over that literally bodily and mental <laughs> exhaustion, yeah. like I, I felt like I felt as if yeah that closure non closure like I was like I feel pretty good about this like I feel something is seemingly daft sounding as like oh I know now what this little city that where my dad's yeah. dad's family come from I know what it looks like now mm. so I've only I always had these like m- mad little fragments of memory or photographs or looking on the internet yeah. and it's just it's not the same so I had this very so I just like I don't know I just felt like I I had a more realistic idea of all these things that I'd only sort of dreamed of before and since honestly and then also since then on a much lighter note like I feel I suppose the biggest change would be like I'm ready to do this again. Like right. I, I, I love the experience of of um, doing it. Like this is what I want to do with my life. Like I don't. It's not like I, I, this is all I want to do with my life. Like I want to mm. write books about things that I'm interested in. And that's an amazing privilege. And obviously that might not last forever. But like while it's good, I'm just gonna keep doing that. And like I did honestly think I was just like, wow. After a few weeks off, I was like. I want to do this again. Like, <laughs> I never thought I'd have that. It's amazing. What what amazing thing though? Like what like amazing discovery to feel like this door has been opened and like, it's like the start of the rest of your life. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a sort of self help guru or whatever, but it's genuinely true that like it's opened in different ways. Like, I feel doors have opened. Mm. I don't. I'm not. I'm not talking about professionally. Like, I was. That's always fine. Whatever. Who cares? But like that. I mean, like in my life mentally and yeah. and and whatever like, like I feel things of like there's been a sense of things opening up um which is yeah. lovely <laughs> it's the best feeling I can imagine um how do you want this book to to change readers if at all or to change their perception of the missing Francisco oh that's an amazing question I, I, I mean long and short of it is I would like people to um I wrote this like it's not it's a socially minded book it's a book of you know reported non-fiction as much as it is memoir so I want people to I would like people to understand that um, 
missing isn't just the things you see at the bus stop or the, on TV or circulating over social media. It's an entire edifice of experience. And it's all around, it genuinely is all around us. The thing I always like to remember is that it's obviously hard to spot because it's hidden by nature, right? But I would like people to be aware of the ways that, what, the things that we can do to like mitigate against some of it. And obviously I would like people to be a bit like, a bit pissed off as well in terms of, and angry in terms of like, none of this, oh, there's a missing persons crisis. Well, that that's inevitable, like rain, you know, <laughs> rain in Britain, but it's not, it's, it's like, there have been things that have led to this point, political decisions, long-term degradation of like the social safety net, again, for want of a better term. Like these things didn't just happen. It's not an act of nature. This is a, a you know, a set of, um, a set of decisions that have consequences that have been building up over a very long time. So I would like to raise awareness of that. I would like for people to, yeah, to understand this is a very complicated issue. And I would love it if there was more attention put on the people that return, like the return for people. Because most people come back. As in like post-analysis, like, yeah, so right, po- to learn more. Totally. I'm not going to go into the details because I don't want to ruin it, but it's like obviously in yeah. your own book, there's... Like, yeah, there is a bit of that. Yeah, there is a bit of that, but but it's you know like so most people missing episodes come back from they come back right like they they mm. return but that is just completely shrouded in silence like no one it's almost as if that's a dirty secret like we're all titillated by the mystery we all would like to know about the person in the bus stop what's happened to them and speculate about that but when that person becomes flesh and blood again <laughs> and becomes real and comes back and it's messy and it's complicated and it's difficult. We don't like that. The mystery's done. We're not interested in the complicated, often probably quite boring process of making sure it doesn't happen again to somebody. So I'd like to raise awareness for that, for sure, and hopefully change minds. I mean, how do you feel (laughs) about what would you like from Mother Mother? My thing for Mother Mother is like, you know, when you read a good book, um, like if you have like a really vivid dream or something and it just like it's it sits in your head, like it stays with you. That's sure. that's all I want. I just want people to like be so invested in the story that the people, the characters feel real and like kind of sit with them for a while. That's all I can ask for, really. I just I just dream. love I just love like we all know not a Mary necessarily, but we know like they're the people that we know in our lives that like I think again, there's a bit of an overlap between the two books where like mm. life Obviously, it's I think dramatic. Jamie's mom, in a way, in that like yeah, yeah, in yeah. the book, like that kind of um, a, a woman whose life is dedicated to caring and nurturing yeah. other people. Totally, and also just like obviously, it's it's a massive drama at the heart of ordinary people. This ordinary people's lives, right? Like in the book, it's a man. It's the biggest drama, but like to the outside world, like it doesn't look very. It's not like exciting, right? But I think what you've done such a good job of is like she lives quite. She has a quiet life. Like she's a quiet quote-unquote ordinary giving nurturing person like that's not it's not glitzy or like hollywoody in any way it's like that's but that's how people live their lives and that's how those are the missing people they're not the other right they're not someone else like it's not this thing that exists wall outside of everything we know they're people that go missing right they're ordinary yeah. people and i think that's what a book does a very good job of of showing Thank you. Thank you so much. I loved it. It was great. Oh, thank you. So, Francisco, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I, that was such a fascinating conversation. And I should say now to people listening, if you were there, is out now. You have had the experience of being able to go to a bookshop that are now open and put your hands on one of your books. That must have felt amazing. 
most surreal experience of my life. When those photos, when those photos started coming in from like Waterstones around the country, I was just like, ah, oh, man, I was, I was laughing. My girlfriend just like probably walked in on me, like just sitting there, like ooh, like just like I don't know if I was excited or just my mind had melted, but it, it was pretty cool. You have that soon as well. It's going to be very exciting. I know, exciting. I know. God, God. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, thank you so much. And I look forward Pleasure. to reading the next one because I know there will be. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Francisco Garcia for that riveting conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like if, if there's anything you want to say, anything you want to remark on, just get on my Instagram and let me know. You can find me there at Annie McManus. And also pass it on, like send it to your friends, rate and review us. It's always good to know that you're listening and always really appreciate it if you do that rating and reviewing. Next week on Changes, the Mother Mother mini series, I am going to be speaking to Sophie Haywood. Sophie Haywood is a friend. She's also an author. She wrote a book called The Hungover Games, which was everywhere when it was released last year. And rightly so. It's a very funny, beautifully written book about something that didn't feel particularly funny at the time. Sophie's experiences of unexpectedly becoming a single mother. It shares plenty in common with Mother Mother in that regard. And so I'm really excited to share that conversation with you next week. Till then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.